0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Meeting on the Mound with Jake Reiner. I am your host, Jake Reiner. We are doing some Jake's Takes today. It is going to be a full-on MLB foreign substance crackdown episode. I'm going to give you my thoughts and feelings about what we've seen so far since they've started the crackdown. Also, we'll get into a little bit about cheating overall in baseball and where the sticky stuff kind of ranks versus steroids versus the Astros cheating scandal and all of that. Plus, we got another version of Jake's Jake coming up in a little bit we're going to be talking about Cubs pitcher Jake Arrieta so we got a jam-packed show for you it's just going to be me let's get into this so The MLB sticky stuff, we started to see MLB crack down on this. They told us they were going to start enforcing these rules on June 21st. And since then, we've seen a major drop in spin rate. The RPMs have tanked across the league. We've seen a lot of notable pitchers kind of struggle since they sort of banned all substances altogether. And we've seen pitchers like Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer kind of struggle a little bit since that happened. We've seen injuries to Tyler Glasnow, who blamed uh, MLB enforcing this thing in the middle of the season as a contributing factor to why he got injured when he did. I think that MLB needed to do this at some point. I just think they picked the wrong time to do it. So I mentioned spin rates uh we down uh, since they started enforcing this stuff. And per Bradford Doolittle, who is an actual human being, he's a reporter for ESPN, but it sounds like a made up name. Anyway, he did some calculations on spin rates before and after May 31st, and he looked at 134 pitchers who had thrown at least 200 pitches on either side of the date of May 31st. And of those 134 pitchers, 70% saw a decline in average spin rate, many of them with degrees of 100 RPM or more. So that is a significant drop of 100 revolutions per minute since they started uh, enforcing this stuff We've also seen some pitchers start to uh, to get checked every half inning. We saw some theatrics with. Washington Nationals pitcher Max Scherzer, who got checked not once, but twice in the middle of the inning. Phillies manager Joe Girardi wanted to have a second check of Max Scherzer, and you could see him on the mound get visibly upset. It was kind of an embarrassment, and it almost looked like, "Uh uh-oh, what what is going to happen now? Is this going to be the start of something extremely embarrassing for Major League Baseball? It actually did didn't start a bad trend, although it didn't start off on a good note. And then we also saw Sergio Romo, whose pitches for the A's, he got a little even. He got a little more animated and actually started to take off his pants uh, so that the umpire could check under his belt uh, to see if there was any sticky stuff. But for the most part, the umpires are not delaying the game, so that's good. What they're doing is is that they're checking uh, pitchers when they come off the mound uh, between innings. So it would not mess up the flow of the game. Also, we've seen instances of two umpires checking a pitcher uh, coming out of the game and then two umpires checking a pitcher coming into the game. uh, And they sort of split the umpires in half to try and, you know, and ensure that the new pitcher coming in doesn't have any sticky stuff and the pitcher who just exited the game doesn't have any sticky stuff on him. We've actually seen one ejection so far, and it was Mariners pitcher Hector Santiago. And i had never heard of him before this, but now everybody knows about him because he was the first pitcher to be ejected since they started cracking down on this stuff And it looked like to me, and we heard from uh, his manager, Scott service after the, after the game. and, And also from him that it appeared that the sticky substance on his glove was in fact, rosin and sweat. Now, the problem I have with that is, is that most hitters, if you ask them across the league have come out in favor of rosin and sweat. That's been around there for years. I mean, they provide the pitchers with rosin. So if umpires are going to be checking this stuff, I think, and and I think they'll get better at it, but I think honestly, they need to figure out the difference between rosin and sweat and actual like pine tar or spider tack or any of the other foreign substances that are not allowed. I think with major league baseball, taking a clean swipe at this, so to speak, and saying that all substances are banned is just not a good, is just not a good strategy? Because what What it does is is that now you're having pitchers being tossed out of games for rosin and sweat, which we know for years have, has created stick and can also help you grip the baseball. So the whole rosin and sweat thing, I think it needs I think that needs to be allowed. I don't think that that should be considered a foreign substance because it's not foreign. They have the rosin bag on the mound. And sweat isn't foreign because everybody sweats. And on a hot day, you wear sunscreen. So that's not foreign either. I think Major League Baseball just kind of panicked because they saw offense just going in the drain. And they needed to do something about it because they've been messing with the ball every single year. And so they tried to overcorrect. And they tried to kind of do this cold turkey thing where they just simply say nothing is allowed. I think eventually we need to come to a a, a point, and maybe it'll probably come up at the next CBA um, because we're looking at a new deal next year, is they need to come up with some approved substance. I've been talking about it a lot on this podcast. I've been talking about it on The Incline, my Dodgers podcast that I co-host. They need to come up with a substance that is approved by Major League Baseball. That's how you even the playing field because ultimately pitchers need to grip the baseball. And they need a substance that will weather the storm, so to speak. So whether it's hot out there, whether it's cold out there, whether, you know, Major League Baseball, if they keep changing the baseball, like this year, pitchers have complained that the, the, the seams are off because they changed the baseball. So they had to overcorrect and use sticky stuff to hold on to it. The spin rate stuff, that is sort of a bridge too far. But I think pitchers need to be able to grip the ball. And I think hitters would agree to that, too. But since they started enforcing these rules, which I think ultimately was a good thing, it's just the timing of it, like I mentioned. But league-wide batting averages in April, 232, pretty abysmal. But it's gone up to 244 in June, and they started enforcing this stuff on June 21st. So things are picking back up. It's what Major League Baseball intended to have happen after cracking down on this stuff is happening, which is offense is slowly coming back. I just think overall, MLB handled this really badly, like they handle everything else. This had to be done. It was the bad timing to do it. They should have waited to the offseason. They either should have done something before this season started or do it after the season ends and figure it out there. Because what you're seeing is, is that, yes, Pitchers are having to adjust, right? And a lot of them are complaining and it, and it's kind of a bad look, right? Garrett Richards of the Boston Red Sox we saw was complaining about how he had to learn a change up and how this is sort of, he's got to relearn how to pitch. It's just not a good look to, to sort of say like, I needed to cheat in order to be good. Um, but I do think that, you know, Tyler Glasnow knows his body, knows what he's used to. And if he is saying that changing this stuff in the middle of the season is what led to his injury, that's not good either. So I think what should have been done is something either before or after the season so that pitchers can adjust in the off season and prepare for the, for the regular season. I think that's what should have been done. But here we are, and uh, it seems to be working. Uh, it's a little awkward out the gate but it seems to be working so far. All right, moving on to cheating in baseball. So I mentioned, I I used the word cheat when I was describing the sticky stuff, and I'm kind of on the fence about it. So I'm hoping that I can work out my issues right now in uh, Meeting on the Mound Therapy with you guys because I'm still struggling to kind of wrap my head around how I feel about sticky stuff and if I think it is cheating. So... You could look at this in a number of ways, right? A lot of people have compared the foreign substances to the steroid era and how the pitchers are gaining an advantage just like the hitters gained a huge advantage by bulking up. But cheating is something in baseball that, I mean, it's it's more prevalent in baseball than any other major sport, at least... Publicly speaking, right? I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of um, unwritten or, you know, unspoken about things and all these other sports that we're not really paying attention to. Uh, the one thing that comes to mind is the deflate gate in the NFL. I mean, that was widely publicized, but it seems like every single thing uh, that has to do with cheating gets brought to the surface in baseball, whether it's steroids, whether it's foreign substances, whether it's using video uh, to steal signs and cheat that way. It's just a part of the game and it's a struggle for baseball fans because sometimes we don't know how to feel about it. Um we can feel one way but then sometimes we look at the we look at the facts and maybe our opinions change and it's kind of like where you know where do we stand is the game pure anymore does it need to be pure um are we going to be okay if the game kind of continues to ebb and flow and uh, we we continue to adjust to uh you know how the game evolves I mean I don't know I, I think Major League Baseball tries too hard to police some things and not others. For example, like their whole pace of play thing has been just uh, so dumb. The whole thing. I don't think it's shortened games at all. Maybe by a little bit. Um, the, the extra runner on second base and extra innings. I don't, you know, maybe that's shortened games or maybe the three batter minimum rule has shortened games or whatever. Um, they're maybe taking out the intentional walk, maybe that's shortened games, I don't know. But like it seems like they're more focused on speeding the game up than they are about integrity of the game. And this is an issue this with the sticky stuff that has gone on for far too long without any enforcement. And people like to bash Trevor Bauer all the time about how, oh, his RPM is through the roof and you know his, his Dodgers teammates' RPMs are through the roof and now that they've taken away the sticky stuff, the RPMs for the Dodgers have tanked more than any other team in the majors. So that, that can kind of tell you a lot about what, what's been going on there. But Trevor Bauer's been the one that's been complaining about this stuff since 2018. So he was begging major league baseball to do something. And finally they did not for the integrity of the game, but because offense was so bad, it was becoming unwatchable. So that's really the only reason they did that. But comparing this stuff to steroids, I I find a little weird Um, only because what I think the sticky stuff is, and I could get in trouble for saying something like this or, or someone will call me on it at some point, but I just feel like the sticky stuff is more a reflection on pitchers adjusting to the game. And what I mean by that is, is I brought up this before about the baseball changing. And I think what happened in 2019 was was that was the juiced ball, right? Balls were flying out of the ballpark left and right. And so I think pitchers kind of said to themselves, well, if the ball's flying out of the park, I've got to prevent guys from making contact with the baseball. I've got to Make sure my strikeout rate is going up. I got to make sure my spin rate is going up so that, so that these guys can't hit the ball out of the ballpark. So they were adjusting to that. And Major League Baseball has done a huge disservice to everybody by changing the ball every single year. I mean, they got to stick to one ball. And that, and that has to be it. They can't keep changing the baseball. What if they changed the basketball size every year? I mean, people would be going out of their mind. I mean that it's been the same basketball forever, it seems, and it should it should be the same baseball forever and I think that pitchers adjusting to that is you know a product of changing the ball and and how home runs were just going through the roof and and it's not just about the ball, right I mean guys were adjusting their swings so that they could hit more home runs their launch angle they were focused on that they were focused on walks and launch angle because they thought with the shift on they've got to adjust to that and so their theory is is that you got a better percentage of hitting the ball over the fence than you do getting a single ripping one you know to the pull side whether you're a lefty or a righty steroids was you actively injecting something into your body that made you stronger to hit the baseball. And that to me is not really an adjustment to anything as it as it is an adjustment to other hitters around you, right? So if you see guys like Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire hitting 70-plus home runs a year— and you're a guy that wants to stay in the league and you're and you're looking to compete then maybe you're going to take you're going to take steroids too and that's kind of where the steroids and sticky stuff kind of blur together because a lot of pitchers are taking sticky stuff to stay in the major leagues or if they're in the minors they're doing it so they could get to the major leagues and then eventually stay there but if you look at the history of baseball steroids actually <laughs> as weird as it sounds steroids actually did more for baseball than it did against it. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that steroids basically saved baseball in 1998. The home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa pretty much saved baseball because... Uh, it was after the strike and the attendance was low and they couldn't figure out what to do. And then they figured out, you know, that whole ad with, with Greg Maddox, you know, chicks dig the long ball. Well, they actually did. And not just chicks, everybody, everybody dug the long ball back then. And so you very rarely do you see a national audience paying attention to baseball throughout the entire season and one storyline keeping them coming back for more. It was every single day you were checking to see you know, if Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa hit a home run and who was going to break Roger Maris's record, who was going to surpass Babe Ruth and all that. That stuff was really exciting. But it got to a point where it was so outrageous that baseball had to do something about it. And they honestly took too long. Um, I think... Once baseball was saved, they needed to step in and say, okay, now that we have it back, let's try to even the playing field here. But it's not just hitters. I mean, pitchers were taking it too. But they took too long with that. They took, they took too long with uh, the sign-stealing scandal. They took too long with the sticky stuff. And I think that's part of the reason why they decided to do it in the middle of the season because they needed to do something. They couldn't just do nothing. Although I, I feel like they could have just waited or done something at the beginning of the year. I kind of liken the way that MLB chose to handle the steroids era and chose to handle this sticky stuff before enforcing it, kind of like robbing a bank and not being caught. Right? It was. It was as if these players all collectively robbed a bank. They were caught on camera, and you heard them screaming, "Hello." I am insert name here, and I'm robbing this Wells Fargo bank right now, and then still not being caught. The point is, is that you're still robbing the bank. It's still against the law. But if you're not enforcing it, then what good is the is the rule in the first place? Also, it's still illegal. It's still against the law. So yes, if it's written in the rule book that you're not supposed to put foreign substances on the ball and you're not supposed to use steroids and you're not supposed to use video to cheat, what good are those rules if you don't enforce them? The only difference with the sign-stealing scandal was that there was a strict, harsh memo that Rob Manfred sent out to all of the teams in the wake of the Red Sox Apple Watch thing that basically said, if you use video to cheat, you... Will face consequences, whether that's your your manager will get suspended or your GM will get, get suspended, you'll get fined or what have you. And the Astros still went ahead and did that. That to me is the most egregious form of cheating, is when there are rules in place, there is enforcement if you break those rules and you still do it anyway. And I know a lot of you will, you know, probably say, oh, you know, just because you're a Dodgers fan, of course you would think that, and of course you would defend sticky stuff. I'm really asking you to take a look at this, and and what do you what do you think is worse, right? Putting some sticky stuff on the ball to make sure that you get the, that you get enough spin rate and that you can grip the baseball, or taking steroids to hit balls out of the park, or designing an entire um, system where every single one of your batters knows exactly what's coming. I mean to me there's no comparison. Love to hear your thoughts though on that and see if uh you think I'm crazy. One other point I'd like to make about this is fans will fans always overreact in every single sport. That's where the the term Monday morning quarterbacking comes in because hindsight's 2020 and of course after the fact you can see things a little clearly, a little more clear. And sports fans will react to just about anything. Any report, doesn't matter if it's false, doesn't matter if it's true, if they don't like a player, everything, that every opinion they have is colored based on the fact that they don't like the player and if new facts come to light, it won't change their opinions. And so sports fans are inherently irrational, right? I mean, we're all guilty of that. We're all fueled by emotion. My... Advice to anybody that's kind of confused, like myself, uh, uh, about where, where to stand on this, h- how to feel ab- about guys cheating, is just listen to the players. Listen to the guys that play this game. That's kind of how you know what is allowed and what isn't allowed. If you looked at the reaction to steroids and the reaction to sticky stuff, you've kind of got a mixed bag. I mean specifically with foreign substances, you've got hitters coming out saying it's ridiculous, saying it's as bad as the steroid era. You've got other hitters coming out saying like like Pete Alonso of the Mets saying, I want pitchers to use whatever they want. As long as they have control of the baseball, it means I'm not taking one in the face. You've heard you've heard that. You've heard guys like Charlie Blackman of the Rockies say that he has to adjust his swing because he has to figure out where the ball is going and anticipate where the ball is going. And so hitting is so much harder. Josh Donaldson, too, saying that hitting is so much harder. Max Muncy coming out and complaining about the baseball being deadened this year. You've seen a mixed reaction, though, from players. Some players think it's cheating. Some players think it isn't. And so I think based on that, you compare that to the sign stealing scandal, not one player that I've seen so far has defended it. Has come out and said, "You know something? This, you know, this is acceptable." Even the Astros players, none of them came out and 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 really defended themselves, saying that this was a good thing that they did. I mean, they gave some sort of half-assed apology, but at no point were they proud of the system that created. Now, you've had a few detractors out there saying that, oh, let, you know just wait and see when, when the news comes out about every team trying to use video and to steal signs and then see where you land on this. Well, that hasn't happened yet. And I find it odd that that, that, that hasn't really happened yet. It, it, I shouldn't say it hasn't happened yet because there have been some reports of of players accusing the Dodgers, apparently, of, of doing some sort of sign-stealing. Sign but that, but that player never played for the Dodgers, as opposed to Mike Fires, who pitched for the Astros. Nobody would know better than a person on that team. Pretty much across the board, everybody uh, in Major League Baseball is pretty much in agreement that the sign stealing scandal was bad. It was really bad, and for the Dodgers players to come out like they did, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner. Clayton Kershaw, you name it. There were so many players that came out and basically um, condemned what the Astros did in very harsh terms. If the Dodgers were stealing signs and doing exactly what the Astros did, why would players come out and just completely boldface lie like that? I mean, that's pretty bold, right? If players come out and say there was absolutely no cheating and you're wrong or whatever... And then the evidence comes out that they were cheating. That's a huge I mean, why would you risk that? I mean, we saw it in the steroid era, like with, with Mark McGuire and Andy Pettit, and you know, they, they all denied it at first. And I think even Mark Maguire is still denying it. But then the Mitchell report came out and I was like, well, why would you why would you deny that? I mean, it's so much easier to just come clean about it than it is to wait to be found out to be frauds. And I don't think as angry as Bellinger was and as angry as Turner was about that, I just can't see them. I just can't see a report coming out saying that they did the same thing. I mean, you can call me a homer if you want, but I just don't see that happening. And if it does, then egg on my face. But I think that's one, one barometer we can look at is how the players respond. Some players were okay with sticky stuff. Pitchers certainly were. Some hitters actually were in favor of it. Steroids too. There were some players that didn't mind it. Some players didn't like it. But if you look at the response to the sign-stealing scandal, that was a resounding no. That was a resounding rejection of that. I think that's how you can rank these things. Because look, it's all, you know, different versions of cheating, right? But if you're looking at degrees of what was worse, I think that's a way to look at where those rank is how the players respond. It's one thought that I had. You can take it or leave it. Jake's Jake. It's time to talk about another player named Jake. I love this segment because I get to learn things about players that I didn't know that have my name. What better way to to spend my time? So let's talk about 2016 World Series champion and current Cubs pitcher, Jake Arrieta. This is Jake's 12th big league season. He's 35 years old. He's not having a good year. He's 5-8 with a 5.32 ERA with a 1.493 whip. Not good, dude. But let's start at the beginning, right? He was born in Farmington, Missouri. He oddly has the same birthday as my dad, March 6th, which is... Neither here nor there. I just find it interesting. He went to high school in Texas because his family moved to Plano, Texas three months after he was born. So that's where he was pitching. And I found this interesting. And we, we've seen this with guys that come out of high school, they get drafted, and they decide they want to go to college. But Jake Arrieta was drafted three different times. Now, that's interesting to me in the sense that he really bet on himself like he said you know what i'm i'm really good i'm i'm exceptionally good and i'm so good that i'm going to turn down this offer from the reds who drafted him in the 31st round of 2004 he opted to go to college out of high school then the next year he was drafted by the brewers in the 26th round and he opted to transfer to TCU and it keeps getting better because in 2007 he was drafted in the fifth round. So he goes from 31 to 26 to the fifth round. In 2007, he was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. That's pretty amazing. He really bet on himself. And that's something that I think is, is incredible. And it panned out for him. Some guys, it doesn't. Um, it didn't start out great, though, for Jake Arietta with the Orioles. He pitched four seasons in Baltimore. He had an overall record of 20 and 25 and a 5.46 ERA. I don't know what the hell happened between Baltimore and Chicago, but he really found his groove in Chicago. He got traded to the Cubs in 2013 in the middle of the 2013 season in July, and the best three seasons of his career were with the Chicago Cubs from 2014 to 2016. He won the Cy Young in 2015. He finished sixth in MVP voting, going 22-6 and sixth as the only season he won 20 games. He had a ridiculous 1.77 ERA and a 215 ERA plus. Now ERA plus takes a player's ERA and normalizes it across the entire league. It accounts for external factors like ballparks and opponents. It then adjusts. So a score of 100 is league average and 150 is 50% better than the league average. So he was at 215, which is just insane. Plus, he threw a no-hitter against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium that year in 2015. I remember it. And we were reminded again when the when the Cubs came back to Dodger Stadium, they this year they threw a combined no-hitter, the first in franchise history. So that stung twice. Anyway, in 2016, Jake Arrieta was an all-star. He went 18 and 8 with a 3.10 ERA. He also won a Silver Slugger award, which is an award given to the best player, best hitter at each position. So he won the silver slugger for pitchers that year. He batted 262 with two home runs and seven RBIs. And like I mentioned, the Cubs won the World Series that year, breaking that 108-year curse. Arietta won two games in that World Series and posted a 2.38 ERA. Now, I don't know where he was in the running for World Series MVP, but he lost out to Ben Zobrist. And if it wasn't for Ben Zobrist being insanely hot and clutch in that series, I think it might have gone to Jake Arrieta. Unfortunately for Jake, his numbers have steadily declined beginning in 2017. Uh, He spent a few seasons with the Phillies before returning to the Cubs this year. And again, he's not having a great year. I'm not sure what happened uh, between 2014 and 2016, but those were his glory years and those were pretty, pretty damn good. And he was at the top of the league uh, as far as pitchers go. Uh, He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. He just doesn't have the consistency or or the elite numbers over an extended period of time. But he definitely was a dominant pitcher. And for Cubs fans, he'll forever be a legend for helping them break that curse in 2016. Well, that just about does it here for me. Meeting on the mound. I hope you enjoyed my takes. Hope you enjoyed my therapy session with myself trying to figure out how I feel about all this cheating and it sucks when uh, the team you support is kind of wrapped up in it, so it is very confusing. But I'm sure there are a lot of baseball fans out there that are just as confused and weird and, and anxious, and and just have all these thoughts running through their head when it comes to this stuff. So maybe you kind of relate to me on some level. Hopefully, I would, that was the whole point of that was to kind of work through this stuff. And hopefully, some of the points you resonated with you. If they didn't, that's okay too. You can uh, fight with me on Twitter. You can follow Meeting on the Mound on Twitter or, or Instagram. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, My handle on Twitter is at Reiner underscore Jake and uh, download uh, Meeting on the Mound wherever you get your podcast. Thank you guys so much and have a good day.